Uh, and I think here we go. We are recording. Merle, I wanted to talk to you about this whole entrepreneurial angle and what is going on today. Uh, 70% of entrepreneurs are from what generation? 70%. 70% from yes. what generation? Probably uh, it would be the, uh, the, the generation of uh, the baby boomers. Oh, that's very interesting. It is Gen X and the baby boomers. But what is surprising, and I've read some stuff in Forbes and uh, a couple other related uh, articles, that most people think it would be the millennials because there's mm. so, always so much buzz about we created this new app that does this, our new social media platform that does that. You know, you hear so right. much about that. But the truth of the matter is, yes, it's Gen X and the and baby boomers. Baby boomers are pretty damn old these days. So that puts a lot of it in our hands, uh, Gen X, which is, I don't know, fi uh, 50 to 65, maybe. I don't know, something like that. No, I totally kind of makes sense to me that um, we are a generation, including the baby boomers, that really don't rely on other people to tell us what to do. We take the initiative, and it seems like the millennials are ones that are waiting to be told or want the government to do everything for them. So to me, it makes sense. And I just heard a report that about 50% of the <clears throat> nation's uh, uh, wealth lies in people that are between 60 and up. So Ooh, to me, I, that tells a story. I want to come back to that. There's something important I want to say about it after we finish talking about this. First of all, I want to say welcome to Over 50 Starting Over. I'm Barry Edwards. I'm Merle Garrison. And uh, we this is a place where we talk about this Gen X generation, uh, baby boomers, how we transition into our better careers or even make our existing careers better, refine our passion or find our true passion that we left. And this is exactly what I'm talking about here, Merle. So why are people of our age and older, why are we the leading, by far the leading entrepreneurs? There's so many reasons now, man. Well, uh, I think a big reason has to do with education and how we were brought up and exactly how we were brought up by our parents and how they were educated. You know, I remember growing up in my house and it was my dad telling me, listen, nobody owes you anything. Except he didn't say anything. Ooh, he actually good. used a swear word. But, you know, it's, <laughs> this, this, this was drilled into my head. And today, it seems like parents are just handing everything to their kids on a silver platter. Yes. One of the things I've seen is, like, people, kids have all this technology. They've got, like, an iPhone. They've got video crap in their room. They've got all kinds of toys. Uh, I mean, video games and stuff like that. When I was growing up, if I wanted it, I had to get a job or or figure out how to buy it myself. Yeah. And that's yeah. the spirit of entrepreneurship, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. But there's all, and, and I love what you're saying. There's a lot to unpack there because there's a lot of different reasons why this is happening. It, it has been in our adult lifetime where the transition was made from uh, – Remember our parents, most of our parents were kind of like, you got your job and you're happy and, and uh, really proud to have that job. And yes. so you're proud of your company. There was loyalty and yeah, they had loyalty time. to you. And there is none of that anymore. No. Okay. There is no company loyalty and therefore you don't owe loyalty. You want to give yourself a raise, go get a new job. Go give yourself a promotion by going True. in and climbing the ladder. Uh, that's really what we were learning 
in our 20s, in, as our yeah. late, later 20s. That's when that uh, transition was happening. But also with technology now, with everything, we are a much more nomadic culture than we used to be, okay, for sure. Yes. And so it opens up possibilities to us in our minds. And isn't that a beautiful thing? Look, you've been all over the damn country. I have. You know? And I think that's a wonderful thing. And uh, now you're out there in beautiful L.A. And, well, there's some good things and bad things, of course, that come with that. But right. what also comes with it is a very rich life. And so when we have this opportunity, especially with technology, to follow our true dreams of passion, we put together a little bit of a nest egg or... Another reason why we are forced into entrepreneurship is getting squeezed out of corporate America for younger talent and having to, and just saying, screw it. I'm going to follow my, my passion. I, I have this opportunity. I think there is a little bit, there's more of an awareness today than there used to be that we can do these things and we can reach out online and learn about resources and we can put together an online presence that can we reach across the entire nation or world if need be. So yeah. it's, it's at our fingertips today. There's, so there's a lot of reasons for it. And I just wanted to say, if that is something that trips your trigger, probably does is why you're listening. Do know that I have the lean business model available for you at edwardscom.net slash lean. Okay. And it's a free download and it will help you in 20 minutes, help you set up your, pro the, your problems that you solve, uh, the problems that you solve for your target audience, how to figure out your unique value propositions, the unfair advantage that you offer, who your customer segments are from your target audience, and most importantly, the cost structure versus your revenue stream. So what's, what will go out versus what can come in and how to figure that out. And uh, so again, just download that at edwardscom.net slash lean. And Merle, to what you said that uh, I find just absolutely so interesting, you said, well, what kids are learning these days is uh, they're being fed everything. They're yeah. trophy, participation trophies and, and hmm. all the like. Whereas we were coming, uh, we were raised by a generation that knew true hardship. I mean, real right. hardship. And right. uh, hell, their parents went through the, the depression. Right. They, heard, they were raised on hearing stories about eating lard sandwiches. And, lard. You know, yeah, don't, you know that? And probably spam. Have you ever eaten spam? You know, I was just, I just got done reading. No, I haven't, by the way. But um, <laughs> I haven't I, I, in Hawaii, it's a terrible. delicacy. But um, yeah, it does sound terrible. I just got done reading this book, Uncommon Valor, by. Uh, Martha McCallum, and she was, I was, you know, she goes through this whole thing about her uncle that was in World War II, and he was writing letters back home about how good these rations were. I mean, oh, think about that. Oh this this is a young guy that went through the Great Depression, and he's now now he's in he's fighting in the Pacific. He's on Iwo Jima, and he's writing he's back about how good these meals are that, he, that he's eating, <laughs> and uh, he's probably having spam.
I mean, yeah. that's just what it is. And, and uh, right. he's thinking, man, this is delicious. And, uh, you know, this is these people were the parents of our parents. Right. Uh, I can remember, you know, being at my kitchen table growing up and it was, you know, better get that meat down to the bone. You know, like yes. you, you're yeah, not going to waste so any wasted. food at the table. And now it's no. like, oh, don't don't force him to, you know, we don't want to yeah. mess around with his, you know, inner self-esteem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, self-esteem. Oh, I'm telling you. So, I mean, it's a it's a different world out there for the young people today. And it really doesn't surprise me that they would not be latching on to an entrepreneurial type of a it's too hard position. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of risk and it's a lot of thinking outside of the box. Right. It, yes. It takes a lot of bravery, man. It takes guts. Right. Now, these, people, these people are taught not to color outside of the lines. And, that, here and we, not all. Should say there's a lot of good parents out there. There is a lot of good kids. You know what? When I try to have this conversation with Lisa, that's the first thing she says, because she works with some very talented and very smart millennials. I I believe that they're out there. However, I believe that the others have tainted the, the good parents that are out there. And we're seeing, we're seeing a change. I mean, I think I mentioned in a show before that, uh, Anne Marie and I were at a restaurant where these kids were just like wild Indians is climbing on the furniture and everything. Yeah. And they just ruined our whole time. Yeah. Uh, and the parents didn't say anything. And the grandparents were right there too, who didn't say anything. And wow. so it's, uh, it's quite it's our a culture. Thing it is. Yeah. It's, it's a thing. It, and you know what? I just watched a Jordan Peterson video this morning. You know, my second half of my workouts where I like to find something inspirational. And this was almost more of fits our more metaphysical uh, segment. And it was terrific. It was, he was talking to college students uh, for the most part, it, you know, because it was excerpts that was put together for a seven, about a seven to nine minute video. And he's, oh yeah, he was doing a lecture to his own college students. He's, uh, he's a psychology professor at the University of Toronto and is made famous by putting those lectures on YouTube as now he's an international phenomena. And, and this is like one of the many things that he preaches is about today's culture. Everything he talks about is how today's culture is getting it so wrong that they're causing a lot of anxiety because it's unnatural. The, the way they were trying to pursue mm-hmm. things is absolutely unnatural. Uh, he usually talks about, cause he, he, he has psychology clients, most lots of whom are young men who are just being raised in an emasculating environment, which is mm. unnatural. So, mm. um, so he starts out this whole lecture. He says, you're all complaining that you're broke. You want to you know the number, reason, number one reason why you're broke? You're young. You're in college. <laughs> who, 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 you know, how many people are just born into a bunch of wealth that are your peers? You don't know anybody. Everybody's broke because you're young. And we talk about that evil 1%, you know, mostly talk about the 1% that you want their wealth that they spent 60 years accumulating, working very hard to accumulate saving. and saving. But when they were your age, most of them were just as broke as you. But right. now you're raised in an environment, the postmodern neo-Marxism environment, where you're being told that you deserve this, this wealth, and you haven't yeah. done a damn thing for it. And what he goes on to explain to them, because, you know, right there you get all rattled. Everybody's like, yeah. oh, shit. You know, and, um, and he says, but this, 
saps your motivation, your, your chance to build your own identity, your self-worth. He goes, this is robbing you of your youth, this, mm, entire, mm. this entire belief that you have. And, it, and he says, you know, this is rooted in identity politics where everybody's concerned about the equality of, it, of out, outcome which is bad. Everybody has to have the same outcome. And he says, this is really horrible. That's where it, it all goes off the rails right there. He goes, equality opportunity? No, that's fantastic. That's what it's all about. But from there, you earn it. No, there's no, there should be no equality outcome. Now it's time to start climbing the ladder, take a good hard look at why you fell down, you failed, and you need to pick yourself back up. That's where you're going to grow. Right. We talk about that all the time. So anyways, that's the, the root of this video. Yeah. And uh, and he and he makes the he makes the point to saying that since the year 2000, the rate that we have lifted, the poverty rate, uh, people out of poverty is unprecedented. I mean, so if you want to talk about, oh, my God, I'm poor. They're poor. We're, we got to be so concerned about the poor. Oh, because you're so concerned about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. That's not the case. The poverty line, I mean, today, we, people used to really worry about putting food in their mouths for real. Now they're worried about having the latest iPhone or sneakers mm -hmm. or whatever, and you can't get that. Wow, you're, you're poor. Right. And, uh, now, there's plenty of statistics out there to show that uh, there's just a giant misperception of how bad our society is when it's gotten better and better and better. I have a question for you, Barry. Do you feel that that whole – I mean, it does seem to me that people are being socialized into that entire thing that you're talking about. It makes me angry, actually, when me I too. hear you talking about it. And do you think that this has been a design that uh, – there has been, I hate to say a conspiracy theory, but some type of coordinated effort to cause especially the younger people to think this way? I think that's a great question because it's easy to go there. And I don't know the full answer because some days when I'm angrier, I go there as well. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is the Illuminati or you know whatever. Bankers. Wow. I, 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 I certainly know bankers rule the world economically. But don't you think, Merle, that it's the natural progression though as well? Let's just look at it from another side. Is that when we climb out of World War II, uh, climb out of the Depression, and we start uh, realizing a real sense of uh, richness for the first time. And we're, then we're all so happy, like around the 50s to 60s, you know, right, right. and we're all so happy that we're sharing and we got the United Way, we got the Blue Cross, Red Cross, all of that. Mm. Oh, we are so elated that we're, we're starting to smoke pot now in the late 60s and we all talk about creating the welfare system, which we did. Uh, I should say we, we really pumped up the national welfare system at that time. Yes. And, uh, that is when things quickly started going down the tubes and we don't talk about that though. Yeah. Yeah. So we, what I'm saying is 
we went from really, really hard times. And, and again, Peterson talks about, you think that you're in poverty now. He says in the uh, 1860s, people lived on what is the equivalent today of less than a dollar a day. That's what everyone yeah. lived on back yeah. then. That was absolutely dirt poor. Sleeping on the dirt, eating dirt almost. Um, that was real poverty. And that was almost everyone. And so look where we are. Uh, 150 years later. But to answer your question and get you back in on this, to respond to me, do you think it's a rather natural progression that we actually hit such prosperity, such sustainable prosperity that we, I don't know, we kind of do the pendulum swings all the way back the other way where we'll probably destroy ourselves with this kind of thinking? I, I, you know, that's a great question. I, I do feel that young people tend to naturally rebel against their parents and against how they how they think. And when you 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 made some great uh, analogies to World War II and after the Depression, and really what made America prosper after that is that the bureaucratic system, the government system, moved out of the way. You know, they were into the New Deal and everything, and they started to let entrepreneurs and business people actually start making decisions for themselves and making it easier for people to start new businesses and that suddenly we were in an age of prosperity the exact yes. same thing happened in the 1920s after world war 1 is that we started we lowered taxes uh, we start we made which made it available for people to have the the resources to start their own businesses it caused business people to be able to take more risks and as a result our economy grew by leaps and bounds both times that actually happened and it seems like a natural progression to <clears throat> within a generation rebel against that. Mm. And we saw that whole thing happen 20 years later in the 60s, where you're exactly right that we started a welfare state as a response. And as we're looking at it today, bringing it back to the today time, we have a young generation that has been programmed to believe that they're owed something. Mm. <clears throat> the exact opposite of what my father taught me is that nobody owes you anything. They feel that the government, uh, people that have wealth, owe them that wealth for some unknown reason. And so right. today, as we take a look at this coronavirus, and I really want to get into what's happening in the government. Government, but I took some notes uh, this week, and uh, what we're looking at is that within the last 16, I'm sorry, within the last three weeks, 16.8 million people have lost their jobs. That's one Oof. in 10 people, one in 10 working Americans have are out of a job within the last three weeks. Now, to put that into perspective, the fastest rate of job loss since 1948, okay, since just shortly before the the turn actually happened. This is uh, generations it's taken for this to happen. And to put it into more perspective, during the Great Depression, it took 44 weeks or 10 months for the unemployment to go up this high, which only took three weeks. And at the same time, what we're seeing is we're seeing this parody where people are talking about 
uh, it, that this whole uh, stay at home kind of thing, which has caused this whole thing to happen in the first place, you've got people that are vehemently in agreement with continuing this whole stay at home process, oh. and they're and they're 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 shaming people who have any any kind of outside of the box ideas about this whole thing. In other words, they seem to be in compliance with ruining the economy mm. in order to, to protect people's lives. Mm. And I just believe that as we take a look at this phenomenon that's happening, the, there are people that are in power. And as we always say, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There are people in power that are absolutely taking advantage of that situation. And we're seeing it all around us right now. It's, amazing what's happening right now mm. i've got some examples of that but just wanted to get your comments on that first Barry. well you know i did before i forget i wanted to mention guys please like and share our videos It's very important for us to build our audience to continue to bring this important content to you for free and you can find us at over 50 starting over.com our latest video and our podcast channel of your choice sign up right there so please subscribe please please leave comments and engage with us um thank you and merle i'm sorry what was that question the question was if you had any comments on my last comments about how this younger generation uh is seems to be programmed to accept this whole stay-at-home policy that has shut down our economy which uh is comparable to nothing that we've seen in our lifetimes uh, we have mm. to go all the way back to 1948 to see anything like this mm. yeah i i don't think that man i mean i don't think that there's anything any precedence whatsoever that we can compare it to because um because I've never seen more than $2 trillion pumped into the economy in this way before. Well, Nothing even close. So it, what does this do to us going forward? How well, do we, we pull that out? We actually have, there is a precedent that's been set. Now, not $2 trillion, obviously adjusted right. for inflation. We look at the New Deal during the 1930s which actually prolonged the depression about a decade longer than it needed to be. And we look at the fact that at that time, the New Deal was sucking huge amounts of resources into government programs, which actually grew uh, what we now call the, the bureaucracy in the United States, which didn't exist before that, and really uh. kept us in the dark that entire time and kept people jobless for for years and years, people actually starved to death. Now yeah. what we're looking at here is uh, some protests that are happening all across the United mm -hmm. States. Um, in your state, in Ohio, we saw where uh, the governor, Mike DeWine, who happens to be a Republican, but there were protests on the steps of the Capitol there where people had signs out there that were saying, open Ohio and quarantine worse than the virus and social... Um, uh, social distancing or social conditioning. We do not consent. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw that in Ohio last Thursday, but I think the one that stands out the most is the one that happened in Michigan just yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, did you have a chance to see that? I did. Yeah. Have you, this is the thing though. Um, 
today in Michigan, residents are not able to visit their family members. Uh, they're not able to have any gatherings in their ho private households of, uh, of any size. It doesn't matter if it's family or not. Uh, they, um, they have prohibited the sale of hardware products, gardening supplies, Whoa. baby seats makeup uh even in grocery stores today in michigan certain areas of the grocery stores are roped off because the governor has decided that these are non-essential items including seeds for your garden um Whoa. these are things that have absolutely nothing to do with the covid 19. we're looking at even lawn care lawn care services have been discontinued and by the way you can still buy beer uh weed or lottery tickets in in uh, in Michigan right now, but you oh. can't buy make your wife can't buy makeup. Um, uh, hey, I gotta back you up right there, or just pause you for a minute because I got questions. I I had heard about the uh, protests in Detroit. I did not hear about these specifics, which are bizarre. But they gotta come with some kind of an excuse and explanation. What what is being offered? Because that they sound. Bizarre. They are bizarre. Uh, the excuse that uh, Gretchen Whitmer, who's the governor of uh, Michigan, is saying that Michigan is the fourth largest COVID-19, um, you know, they've suffered with the fourth largest population of COVID-19, and uh, they are, they've got 27,000 people that are reported with COVID-19 right hmm. now. Uh, so that's it. It's the whole thing is that, hey, I'm out here trying to keep people alive. That's, that's her reason for doing this. Now, when we take a look at that rationale, it sounds pretty good on the surface, but when you start to compare that to other things that cause death here in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, we're looking at uh, the flu, for example, which has caused way more fatalities here in the United 44,000 every year from the common flu. And what are we at? 27,000 with COVID-19? It's a little over 27,000 yeah. right now. And so, but then you look at other things like uh, you look at, you know, uh, alcoholism and smoking, uh, those causes of death are much mm. higher right Way now up. than, mm. than anything that COVID-19 is doing. And we even take a look at suicide rates that are out there too. They, you know, um, there are, uh, I, I, even abortion is something that, uh, you know, obviously that is a, uh, much heated subject right there. But if people are really concerned, if the, if the government is really concerned about human life and, and loss of human life, these things seem to be out of balance. And so anyway, going back to the, the reason is because it's supposed to be saving human lives. But at what point do we have to look at this and say, wait a second, we have constitutional rights here mm. and our constitutional rights of, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are actually being stolen for us in the name of protecting our lives. Well, mm -hmm. that's why this protest actually started in Michigan and the uh, co I just, Go ahead. I just think it's a little early for this protest. And the reason for I, that I say that is, you know, and, and it bothers me how politicized everything gets and how out of control everybody gets too prematurely because, you know, a few days ago, everybody's trying to pin 
everything on Trump as to how poorly things are handled and how late he was to come to uh, action, rise to action and all of that. And yet here we are just past the peak already. And we have half the lives uh, lost as we do to the common flu every year right now. And uh, I, I just got to say, I, if you can take Trump's name out of it, if you could take his whole, the whole thought, if we could just say the leader of the United States or something. In other words, let's get rid of the TDS, put that aside and say, you know what? We, we reacted very severely, and it was controversial, but I'll be telling you, you know what we didn't do? We didn't underreact and let a, a complete ep- pandemic of epic proportions happen in this. We controlled it, like, really uh, exemplary, in my opinion, when, you, when we start looking back on it, but it's too early to look back on. We are just passing peak here in Ohio that I know of. In Michigan, you just pointed out it's really bad over there. So I just think that maybe we should hold off on the protests for a week or two. Well, I I hear what you're saying, but when you look at 27,000 people with COVID-19 and you start to compare that to, again, comparing it to the flu numbers in Michigan Mm -hmm. and comparing Mm -hmm. that to the population, which is millions in Michigan, it actually starts to put things into perspective in that we haven't actually closed down our economy as a result of these other things. So there has to be a reason why we've chosen to use this particular event to close down the economy, which will have lasting repercussions for years to come in the midst of one of the greatest economic situations that we had in really maybe all time suddenly that's turned around and you have to start to wonder is there a back reason for this that is outside of the COVID-19 for example Joe Biden is looking at Gretchen Whitner as a possible running mate in the election of 2020 Mm -hmm. and so this does seem to be a grab for Power. In fact, one of the things that we heard over and over at this uh, protest was, hey, a quarantine is where you restrict the travel and movements of sick people, but tyranny is where you start to restrict the travel and movement of healthy people. And so we take a look at that, and in the midst of this, these restrictions that have been put on the Michigan people have only happened, first there was the original part that happened, like you're saying, when Donald Trump took action, or the leader of the nation, as you say, Mm -hmm. um, which is cool. But these things have all been extended by state governments, including Michigan, and that's when the protests started to happen, okay? Mm. It wasn't when it first started to happen. It's when they started to become extended. Um, it's it's interesting what we saw there, and it's it's remarkable, actually, when you start to consider the repercussions of this type of power, as you and I have both talked about several times when the never let a good crisis go to waste, mm-hmm. the, uh, mm-hmm. the axiom of Rahm Emanuel, and how the government, once they take this kind of control, mm. they never actually give it back. That's the scariest part of all. Um, I have all of your concerns, but there's just a lot of different angles to look at right now. And, you know, I my only point is, a couple weeks from now, it'll be a lot easier to a little bit of 2020 hindsight, which is a lot clearer because when we've been in the middle of it, 
it's been they've been the media's been pumping out sheer terror uh, right. to the masses. So there's so much anxiety and fear that everybody's buying everything up off the shelves, and we all know the ridiculousness that's been going on there. But then, all in a week's time. You you start to get people on the other side of this calling for oh this is BS and uh, tyrannism and uh, things like that. I just think it's a little early to say that, but it's also important to note that uh, and we talked about this before that governors and mayors have their individual power and responsibilities because each one of these areas is really so much different from the next. It's a must that we operate that way. Well, I agree with that too. And to your point in Michigan, you have a situation where the COVID-19 is concentrated in certain areas of the state. Mm-hmm. And yet the um, you have the same thing in every state where you have the state and it's run by the governor, but you also have local government as well and really the the and counties you have county government too so the 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 whole purpose of the constitution and the declaration of independence goes to the individual first as governing themselves Uh and then to the then to the local government and then the state government and then the federal government last that's how the authority is supposed to roll so people are protesting in michigan and saying look you're restricting our travel when in our county no one has covid 19 and so you're 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 putting these draconian measures on us where I can't go to this. Look, we're having a baby. I can't buy a, a baby car seat. Are you kidding me? Wow. My wife can't buy makeup. I can't buy seeds from, I can't go outside of my house or outside of my property. So now I can't plant seeds in my garden right now. What is the purpose of that? No, that's, so this is that's what's all caused the protest. Uh, a quote from the uh, the founder of the Michigan Conservative Coalition, who actually started the protest, said this. She said that citizens are frankly tired of being treated like babies. As adults, we know what needs to be done to stay safe. We also believe the liberal attack on our economy is becoming a serious threat right now. We need to stop the madness, and Whitner needs to plan to reopen Michigan's economy before it's too late. That was from Marion Sheridan. And that was actually a Fox News quote. By the way, Sheridan is my wife's last name. And hmm. she's actually my wife's aunt. And she oh. was the one that actually started the, the whole protest. Hmm. Now, this is the whole thing. They feel like they're being treated like babies. Hmm. Uh, that, that they live in a nanny state. This is the opposite of the American dream. Again, yeah. Our freedoms come from the individual first, and they're bestowed on us by God, according to the Declaration of Independence. We have seemed to have substituted that whole thing uh, where the federal and state government has become our parent or maybe even our God. Hmm. You know what's interesting about that? And it all ties right back into what we were talking about 20 minutes ago about Oh, a perception of how things are today. Whereas we used to, we were raised with such a severe uh, case of the taught individual responsibility. You know, That's we so good, Barry. For sure. And right now we are absolutely being taught that the government is supposed to take care of us. And this is the prevailing thought going across campuses by far. 
That's what Jordan Peterson was talking towards. Yes. It's robbing you. It's robbing you of building your own identity and making your own accomplishments and, and providing for yourself, your family, your community, and the things that are most important because we're social animals at the end of the day. We're, we are not supposed to be taken care of by government. We are going to be in the matrix in no time. We go down, go down that road. Barry, that's so smart of you to say that. And, and I really believe that as we take a look at the statistics that I just mentioned about the 16.8 million people who have lost their job over the last three weeks, that there's a major part of our population here in the United States that is completely apathetic to that whole plight even though it's affecting them directly and they're shaming people who are trying to fight against that whole thing because they are buying this whole line hook line and sinker and at the to our own detriment and if we start to take a look at <clears throat> closing our economy and the ramifications of what could happen to our nation as, as a result, what could happen to our actual health that everyone seems to be so concerned about mm -hmm. is absolutely astronomical. Some people are actually out there saying, hey, you by by going out and protesting, what you're doing is you're endangering the care that our hospitals could actually provide through this mm. COVID-19 virus. But I'm going to tell you this, that if hospitals don't have the funding from the Americans that are out there that have jobs, those hospitals are going to go out of business and mm. they're not going to be able to help us when the real chips are down here. So I, mm. I really love your comment there. I think that this goes to that whole point that we started out with, which is that we have to depend on ourselves, not the government. That's a no, scary we thing. We do, and we have to, but we we have to be cognizant of that. Okay, we can't ourselves can't start putting out there. Oh my God, we're heading for you know total tyranny right now uh, as a result of this coronavirus. Uh, we we do need to make sure that we recapture. We we will, you and I will always encourage getting back to the sense of individual, the uh, the constitutional rights of the individual. And uh, but so we we want to be conscious that we don't lose rights in the long term. But we also don't want to see these micro out. Bursts again that are predicted. We start uh, getting complacent, and you know we want to open up the economy. And uh, Dewine is talking about the plan for doing that in stages. I think here in Ohio we're doing a very, very good job of handling this. Um, but if we see start seeing micro outbursts of this virus, gonna have to be super careful about that. I mean, but then there's on the other hand. Who was somebody told me that, you know, it's as prepared as the Cleveland Clinic was. And my God, it's Lisa, that they took over a building across the street from their gigantic campus down here, outfitted it with a thousand beds. And think about all the money that went into doing this and outfitted it with all the medical equipment needed and never admitted one patient or on the other right. side of it. You yeah. know, yeah. So there's both sides of this. It's it's really a huge thing. So there's a lot of cautionary tales to be had, but at the end of the day, it's about getting out of this with a lot of common sense. And it sounds like uh, what's going on in Detroit is is a 
is going to be possibly be a story of extreme and a cautionary tale in the end. I think what we're doing here in Ohio will end up being one of those, man, they really, that's how you do it. It was on the ball. There's a blueprint that we can look at and tweak for something in the future, possibly. Well, I, we're going to have I, horror stories and we're going to have great stories coming. I out hear what you're saying. I, I don't believe that it was extreme what they did. It was actually in Lansing. That's the capital of Michigan, where mm. they actually the plan was to have uh, everyone drive their cars and stay in their cars and then clog up the streets uh, and that. make a whole bunch of noise. And that that's really what the plan was. So they were this is interesting because we were talking about this last week and our, our right to petition the government. But if we have to have social distancing, how can we do this? And I was asking you, is, is this an opportunity for somebody to come up with some new form of activism? And there it was, is that it, in the context of, hey, we're obeying your order to stay in mm -hmm. our cars and we're going to make noise right here. That's not extreme. That's exactly what uh, the First Amendment is all about. Now, mm. disappointing. It was disappointing to me to see that people, for the most part, the, for, the good news was for the most part, they did that. But mm -hmm. then there was a group of people that actually showed up that decided, you know what, we're not going to obey the, the rules of this petition. Uh, we're going to get out of our cars or we're going to walk there and we're going to stand very close together without our masks on and we're going to oh. carry uh, AR-15s with us as well. And mm -hmm. we saw that too. And I think that kind of puts a, a bad light, really yes, it a does. red flag on that whole thing. And I, I was very disappointed to see that. That definitely was not the... Uh, the idea of the people that coordinated that whole thing. Oh, oh, and of course it wasn't. You know what happened there? You just illustrated that people were using their constitutional rights to protest in exactly the way intended. And then these Yahoo Yahoo's go and turn it into ammunition for CNN to spin this into a far right, right. ridiculous movement. And if that, that becomes a story, right? That's, that's what I hate. I hate yes. that, that people were so irresponsible and did that. And I feel bad, badly for the people that were organizing it, that mm -hmm. that had happened. Mm -hmm. um, but I see that time is ticking by and I wanted yeah. to touch on a couple of other things that I think are pretty important. And one of them is defunding the World Health Organization that oh, uh, announced yeah. just uh, yesterday. I think yesterday or the day before. Yes. And that has uh, really become some some pretty big news recently as and, it should be yeah and so what what are your you know initial thoughts on that barry wow well you know uh you are much more of the astute political uh historian and even current events i i'm kind of a dummy but i did go to school and study pretty hard back then and i gotta tell you what this reminded me of for better or for worse, is uh, the League of Nations. If you remember back way – was it coming off of World War One? Yeah, it was. It was Woodrow Wilson's baby. Chanting, waste time and resources, completely ineffective. And here we are with the World Health Organization, which we've been pumping like $300 million into a year, if I'm correct on that. And so that they can have all these lavish lifestyles and get nothing done. Now, we can sit here and blame the president of the United States for the viruses many have tried to do. But the fact of the matter is the World Health Organization was formed 
to detect and be preemptive on exactly something like the coronavirus, and they failed horribly. So I'm throwing out here, Merle, what if we just stop our funding of it and create a different, like we, we went defunct with the League of Nations, and then later we uh, developed the United Nations. What if we go this kind of route again? Get yeah. rid of the World Health Organization and build something newer and better. I love your idea. I love okay. the idea. I think the the basic premise of the idea is very good. However, what I do see is this is and you're right with your history, by the way. Very good, Barry. Uh, with the, the League of Nations. Yeah. <laughs> the League of Nations. And in fact, the United States never actually joined the League of Nations because it was uh, something that the president, Woodrow Wilson, came up with and put a whole treaty together that was never approved by Congress. And uh, the Congress is responsible for approving treaties and so they actually decided not to be a part of the league of nations and are you and, talking about the treaty of versailles yeah that actually got through that's what that's what hitler like one by started one started with war ii yes exactly yes yeah. yes exactly and so at the end of world war ii you're right the, the united nations started but coincidentally the world health organization is part of the united nations which has become completely bureaucratic and as we can see here that uh, there's evidence now that the uh, world health organization covered up for china uh, they actually were right. the ones that said it was safe to travel between wuhan and other cities around the world uh, they condemned trump for the travel ban which you know interestingly now uh, the, these people are saying that well he didn't act soon enough with the travel ban uh, they uh, they are getting about four to five hundred million dollars from the United States per year, and um, this is it's very interesting that um, people would be against this because they actually got it all wrong. But we're seeing in in the uh, news uh, that's very interesting regarding what's happening with COVID nineteen, and I just want to read this to you because. Uh, this is something that the World Health Organization is was involved in, and I I have to say that defunding the World Health Organization is something I'm on the on the wall about. I, I'm not. I while I agree that they've taken some wrong steps, uh, defunding them. The United States is the number one funding mechanism for the World Health Organization. And an interesting thing is if we come out of that funding, it opens the door for NGOs or non-government organizations to actually step in. Like, for instance, the Gates Foundation, Bill Gates, mm -hmm. he's the number two funding mechanism for the World Health Organization, mm -hmm. interestingly enough. And he wow. is the guy that's out there who is saying that um, before we go back to work, that everybody should have uh, vaccinations for this disease. Well, it sounds logical, but when you start to look at his motivation for that, it starts to become a bit precarious. One of the reasons is because he is one of the backers of several of these organizations that are developing the uh, virus, uh, the antivirus or the vaccination, and he stands to make billions and billions of dollars off of this if everyone were to do this. When you start to take a look at a conflict of interest, the World Health Organization is right in the middle of conflicts of interest. But listen to this, Barry. 
there's an increasing confidence that COVID-19 likely originated in Wuhan in a Wuhan laboratory, not as a bioweapon, but as part of China's effort to demonstrate that its efforts to a demonstrate that its efforts to identify and combat viruses are equal to or greater than the capabilities of the United States. Multiple sources who have been briefed on the details of early actions by China's government and seen relevant materials tell Fox News. This may be the costliest government cover-up of all time, one of the sources said. It's interesting to note that what we're seeing now is that we were told all of this time that the virus originated from the wet market in Wu, in the Wuhan province from from bats that apparently bats are, are told to us to be some type of delicacy in China and mm-hmm. that the World Health Organization came out and collaborated on that, saying that the first victims of the coronavirus were all coming from that wet market. Either they were uh, stall owners or they were visitors to that place or they um, somehow had been associated with that wet market in Wuhan, China. But now evidence is coming out saying that it it was actually coming from uh, this area called the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which hey, is Merle. Um, when you go down that road, in, road and only Fox News is quoted at a, as a source, and this sounds very much like okay. And I say this because we constantly accuse each side of giving us fake news. Right. So, are there other collaborators on this story? Because it sounds. Yeah. Like it could be a far-fetched conspiracy story. Well, let me quote something from the uh, Associated Press then. Um, In the six days after top Chinese officials secretly determined they likely were facing a pandemic from a new coronavirus, the city of Wuhan at the epicenter of the disease hosted a mass banquet for tens of thousands of people. Millions began traveling through the Uh, Lunar New Year celebrations, and President Xi Jinping warned the public on the seventh day, January 20th. But by that time, more than 3,000 people had been infected during almost a week of public silence, according to internal documents obtained by the Associated Press and experts, uh, expert estimates based on the retrospective infection data. Uh, The National Review came out and said that the Chinese government did not deny the world a week's worth of warning. At minimum, they denied the world three weeks of warning and perhaps as much as six or seven weeks if they had shared the information about the first cases and new viruses' similarities to SARS. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, we have um, what are called uh, citizen journalists from China. Uh, one of them uh, was uh, uh, who, who had put several videos on YouTube of dead bodies uh, piling up in hospitals and also in the streets. Um, this person um, was uh, uh, Fang Bin actually uh, put these YouTubes out, also showing um, police showing up at the door uh, trying to stop him uh, disappeared. And also another mm. Chinese um, uh, uh, person who was a citizen journalist who had said on his videos that letting people speak cannot cause death, but not letting people speak causes many deaths. Mm -hmm. These two people disappeared in February. 
but um, also several doctors have disappeared that tried to blow the early whistle on this as well. That's China, man. We're seeing also CNN uh, with a story saying that they're they're not saying that uh, they have proof that it's not true, but they are also saying that the theory has been pushed by supporters of president of the president, including some congressional Republicans who are eager to deflect criticisms of Trump's handling of the pandemic, and this is related to the Wuhan Institute. Um, so right now, the evidence is not conclusive that it did come from the uh, WIV, which is the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But we are seeing our stories that uh, the Chinese government and the laboratories have destroyed uh, relevant mm-hmm. data regarding the virus. And we also have reports from the State Department uh, that are documented in 2018, where they actually did an unprecedented thing and send scientists over to both of these labs, the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the Wuhan Center for Disease Control. Both of these centers are coincidentally based right there in Wuhan, where the virus uh, actually started. By the way, the Wuhan Institute of Virology is the uh, uh, is called BSL level four, which is biocontainment level four. It's the highest level that you can get. It's the only one in China. But the State Department had reports that came out recently that said that um, they they were very concerned about the safety, the uh, management issues, and that they were reporting that these horseshoe bats from the Wuhan province, which were the same bats that spread the original SARS virus back in mm. 2003, were not being safely handled. Well, mm. what, we're, what they're saying now, this report that came out yesterday is saying that uh, patient zero actually became infected in one of these uh, one of these two labs and actually came out into the public uh, right around the time of this gigantic banquet that I'm telling you about mm. with tens of thousands, where from there, millions of people traveled from that location into the general public in in China. Now, remember, at the time, China shut down the Wuhan province from traveling throughout China. They took crazy measures. They did not shut down international travel. Yeah. So uh, that's the crazy part. They shut down travel internally, but not internationally. And now you've got this international pandemic that's happened. And the world, going, getting back to it, the World Health Organization mm-hmm. was parroting all of the same information from China. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that the president does have uh, have a legitimate reason to halt funding for the World Health Organization as they oh, investigate yeah. further into this whole thing to find out what the heck is going on. Mm, I got to tell you, uh, I definitely think China is the world's biggest eminent threat, and on so many levels, and. I think they really are are kind of preparing to take over the world in their own insidious way. And I could see that being, I hate to go, I, I just, you know, kind of gave you a short lecture about sounding conspiracy theory. Because if you're going to say Fox News, I mean, I know that you have to back it up with Associated Press or CNN right away as well, because otherwise people just get crazy. Um, even though 
both sides are hesitant to share like information. But I can't help but think that uh, China is, probably was trying to develop a biological weapon right there uh, to contain this new horrible strain of a virus and, you know, let it spread where it wanted to sp spread under controlled, meaning here, under controlled circumstances. And lo and behold, it backfired on them. You know, that's what I feel, especially with the way that they, even though it's not out of character for them, they took such militant action in getting their citizens under con control and containment, you know? I agree. Like they were ready for that. Yeah. Almost, you know? Well, I also think it's interesting when you take a look at people like Bill Gates and how he has the number two funder of the World Health Organization and how the World Health Organization lined up completely with what the Chinese government was trying to mislead the world into believing and how philanthropic organizations like the Gates Foundation now have become almost a government of themselves where you have interviews. I don't know if you've seen the interviews of Bill Gates where he actually okay. sounds like he now is the president of the United States. And he is uh, saying this is exactly how this whole process is going to flow forward. Uh, here's how we're going to open up the country. Here's how we're going to protect everybody with this new vaccine. And the, this is how the world is going to look after that. I just wonder why we're giving him so much authority when he's the founder of Microsoft. He's not a doctor. He's not a government official. And when you start to take a look at forcing people to uh, take a vaccine in the face of the numbers that we just talked about uh, in comparison to the flu and other things that are out there, sh making all of these changes in the name of public safety, the numbers just don't seem to add up to me. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm just curious about onto the vaccine. Uh, have you heard anything? I mean, we've basically been hearing for a while now that it's a year to a year and a half out. I don't believe it'll take that long. And especially if we can find, even if it's not a full vaccine, but effective treatments moving forward, then I think we need to start getting back to a bit more normalcy. Yeah, so the interesting part about why it would take so long has everything to do with the FDA and their process, which is full of bureaucratic red tape. If you've ever had to deal with the FDA, which I have, mm. uh, with uh, some approvals that we had to get in the medical arena from in my background, it is an amazing, amazing thing when you take a look at it. But what I have heard is that there are uh, several pharmaceutical companies, one of them, uh, the primary one backed by Bill Gates, uh, was ready with a virus that they had already, I'm sorry, a vaccine that they'd already been testing on animals only a few days after the World Health Organization announced the pandemic. Hmm. So um, it seems like an amazing coincidence there, but, um, you know, you'll have to read between the lines on that. Yeah, well, there were some people in the science community that were warning us of this pandemic kind of well before anybody was taking it seriously. So, hey, th the fact that some people were already running tests on this doesn't really surprise me. Um, the science community can seem uh, a little disconnected and uh, a, a little overbearing to us sometimes because uh, – 
they seem to take things so, so seriously and we don't. And then the shit hits the fan and then we're, Oh, then we're all about the science community. Finally. So, well, it is interesting as we take a look at this hydroxychloroquine and how there's been so much controversy over this particular drug, which is a malaria drug. Here's a report that just came out is 39 elderly Texans treated for coronavirus with hydroxychloroquine. Um, and uh, this says that 39 of the 56 residents of the nursing home who contracted coronavirus agreed to try the drug. All 39 are doing well after five days with no side effects. Um, wow. It seems to me that without being vaccinated, we actually have a way to treat this. But this has been extremely downplayed. And that, by the way, it came from we started hearing about it from President Trump several weeks ago. And mm. it seems very interesting that the mm. press has not talked about this very much. And when they do, they sort of uh, poo poo it as this mm. is Trump being crazy when the results this isn't this is one report. I've been hearing reports on this all over the country. Doctors are talking about it. But yet the answer has to be some type of a vaccination mm. that Bill Gates and many others like uh, the, the Zuckerberg or Berger. I don't know his last name. The guy from Zuckerberg. Facebook. Yeah, yep. they're, they're all ta these really rich billionaires that seem to want to run the world uh, above and beyond our government are oh, liberals. ones that are trumpeting this whole thing. Dude, I think it's as simple as it's. If it's a Trump thing, you're against it. I remember somebody saying a couple of years ago, I don't remember who, but uh, you want to get uh, make sure that your Second Amendment rights are locked up. To just get out, get everybody out there on board that Trump is against uh, guns, that wants to ban all guns, <laughs> and and it's the truth, man. It, that uh, is exactly the truth. So if it comes from Trump, it's wrong. If it comes from liberals like Bill Gates and Zuckerberg, then you know they're going to back them 100%. I think it's that simple. Yeah, I really do. Hey, uh, we're going to have to wind up soon, and that's okay. We can go on for a few minutes, but I wanted to say that I got to apologize that for any audio problems, occasional skips and hiccups, we're back on Skype right now because we couldn't get our side-by-side -side thing working on Zoom again. And we caught a lot of flack for that in the one episode. And then Merle got a lot of good feedback when we got back to it last time. So I want to ask somebody, I've done a lot of Google research on this. I cannot find how to get Zoom to get back to doing the side-by-side -side thing. So that we're both on screen at the same time. If somebody help can help us. me with that, please let us know. Uh, what else you got there, buddy? Boy, I, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground we here. We did, and we got a little too serious. We're serious on this podcast. We didn't we didn't bring any funny. And no, uh, no we didn't. Until the last thing you just said. Uh, yeah, well, we just uh, always seem to find a comical angle on everything, but there's been a lot of serious issues going on right now. I'll say this, though, on a lighter note. I had a really good week. It's Thursday now, and I had a really good week because I'm back to doing some really good work, um, you know, mostly with my dental client that I talk about from time to time because it's, it's just good holistic stuff, but it's nice to be concentrating on just my stuff. I do, you know, Edwards communication stuff. I do over 50 starting over stuff. I love doing this stuff. And then I love the kind of work I'm doing for her as well. And I don't have more interruptions. So I'm kind of, and I got that workout thing down. 
still continue. I'm on that routine and that makes me feel good. My workouts are great. And, uh, so I'm just feeling good and positive. I have that, you know, this week where it's like, I'm good. I hope everybody else is good that we're making some adjustments and, and the news is getting better. So eh, I just wanted to say that. Hey, the fact of the matter is that the numbers with COVID-19 are leveling out and they're going in the right direction. So the good news is, is that this thing is going to be behind us. And also, I would just encourage everybody that are bogged down in this whole thing, just keep moving forward. Even if it doesn't seem like you're moving forward, just keep moving your legs and you're going to get through this. We're all going to get through this. And on the other side, just like we mentioned earlier at the end of World War One and World War Two, the best is yet to come. It really is. And I really believe that the sun's coming out. There's a ray of sunshine we're seeing yes. already, but the sun is coming back out and we're going to be in a good place. So keep your head up and keep moving forward. You know, I think that's those are perfect words to part on. I just want to say once again, please, everybody share our podcast and uh, write in, man. Give us a question or a comment. Tell us uh, if you have an over 50 starting over experience where you have found your career passion and an inspirational story along those lines to share with us. Merle, hey, talk to you next week, right? You too, Barry. All right, buddy. Bye.